0: I wanna talk for a second about first loves. Think about your first love for a minute. Whoever that person, hold on. If you're not with the person who was your first love, maybe just think about the person you're with when you first met. I don't get anybody in trouble. Think about that person when you first met, okay? Think about the euphoria that filled you. I bet that person could do no wrong. I bet their breath didn't even stink. Everything they did was perfect. You know, and then for those of you who went on to marry that person, about six months later, you're at home, and you hear the call from down the hall. What? We're out of toilet paper again? You know, you're sticking a hand around the door. You know, and then ten years later, the door's not even shut anymore. That's a whole other story. But things change. Relationships change. Okay, you've all heard about that honeymoon period. People have. But things do change, okay? Um, and I'm gonna. this is not a relationship sermon. So I know some of you men are breaking out in cold sweats out there. This is not a relationship sermon, okay? Um, but I will share with you a statistic. You know, we always do statistics. From the certified divorce financial analysts, um, the leading causes of divorce, number one, incompatibility, 43%. Infidelity, 28%. Money, 22%. It's like the chief incompatibility was grew apart, different priorities, fell out of love. Okay? I haven't read the next book I'm going to quote to you, so I can't endorse it, but it was a good quote. This is from Fierce Marriage. The quote is that, love as distinct from being in love is not merely a feeling. It is a deep unity maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit. Okay? Think about that for a second. A deep unity maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit. There's two principles at play in that thought, or two principles that I'm going to draw out. That unity is an emotional togetherness. Okay? So there's emotion. There is an emotional component to everything we do. Don't get me wrong. Everything we do. I'm going to call that emotional togetherness. And then there's the will and habit, right? And those things kind of tie into obedience and faithfulness. Stick to what you said you were going to stick to. Okay? Being faithful, being obedient. Okay? And it just happened... That the Lord put those two messages into my heart and to Micah's heart. Now, I'm not gonna tell you what his sermon's about, but that's the gist. Okay? And it's really cool how that worked out. So today I'm gonna to be talking with you about the heart. Okay? One of my favorite pastors, of, you know, a lot of my favorite pastors are dead because what they say doesn't change, and I like that about them. You know, you're not gonna hear one thing today and another thing tomorrow. Uh, is Martin Lloyd Jones. And I was listening to him in preparing for this sermon. He said, You know, the, the pastor should never preach directly at the heart of the person. I was like, Hmm, let me think about that. And what he's saying was, It's never the pastor's job to take an emotion and to twist your heart. It's God's word to speak to your heart and change you. It's not mine or Jimmy's or whoever's in this pulpit. And I think that's what he was getting at. But we're going to deal with the heart today. I want you to think about this. We are born first as physical beings. If you're here in this church and you heard anything about it, we're born physical, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Even the atheists wouldn't disagree with that. But then we'd probably get some amends if we say we're born again spiritually. And we become spiritual beings. Whole new reality. Whole new reality. Physical, spiritual. Totally new world. Okay, Something we weren't ever born into. We weren't alive in. We were dead to that when we came into this world and we're made alive to Christ. But we're born into this whole new world. Throughout the scriptures, we see this. Jesus says, John eighteen thirty six, My kingdom's not of this world. He had no eyes for the physical world. He was looking at a whole another kingdom. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. Colossians 3, 2. Um, you know, John 3, we all uh, probably all heard this. He talks about truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born of water and a spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born is flesh is flesh. That's the physical. That which is born of spirit is spirit, the spiritual. We see two different realities at play all around us. And lastly, from 1 Peter, Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly desires that will wage war against your very soul. So he tells you there's the physical reality that is going to wage war at this new spiritual thing you've all just found out about when you're born anew into Christ, okay? So what does this have to do with it? We we're talking about relationships. Now we're talking about spiritual. All to say, believer, what is your heart condition today? That's what we're going to talk about. What is the heart condition of each and every one of us? So I guess the first question is, who am I talking to? Who is the believer? This is someone, and if you didn't get it through the worship this morning or through that the lyrics of that thing, this is someone who's been confronted with your sin. And most people say. sin word. Yeah, I knew he was going to preach about that. Really what that is, that's the need. You realize you need something and you ain't got it. You can't hold it together. No matter how hard you try, you can't get it right. Okay? you never full. You never got enough. You never get it put together. And at some point along your way, you realize that. Doesn't mean you're in the jailhouse for breaking the law. Doesn't mean you're in the gutter because you were drinking all night long. Maybe you were. Doesn't mean any of that. And just You just realize that I've got a need that I can't fill in and of myself. And that this God, as we move along, you're made aware of grace. There's someone that fulfilled the need. If you want to talk doctor terms, then you're born anew. You take that plunge. Pray that prayer. Walk that out. Whatever it is, whatever you do, you put your faith in Christ. And hopefully at some point in that process... You were overwhelmed by the absolute goodness of God in coming to you and saying, I've got something for you that you don't deserve, have no right to, but I gave to you because I love you so much. You know, when I was a young man, I used to think that Oh, you know, well, I, I still remember. I probably shared this to you guys before. I was at a youth meeting one time and there was this dude sharing how he was a druggie and God had born him again and how life had changed and he left the streets and he was preaching the gospel. Like, Oh, I wish I had a testimony like that. God let me go all the way through college to show me how much I love to worship me and to show me how much I needed him to the point of where I, you know, and outside Successful, but on the inside, empty, rotten, and broken to the point where I know I needed a savior that could change me and redeem me. And he had something I had, I needed that I could never get on my own. Okay? Because all of us, no matter whether you're the the druggie in the streets or the rock star success in the workplace who's fallen apart on the inside, have been given the Lord the cold shoulder your whole life saying, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You, God, can take a back seat. I'll pray a prayer, I'll think about it when I'm gonna die or something like that. I always, you know, being in the business I'm in, it's never a good thing to hear because you don't know. You're not promised the next 30 seconds, okay? So I wanna talk with with you about, about this, you know, the heart condition. Now, as we think about this heart condition, we're gonna talk about something that not a lot of people like to preach about. And some people will actually tell you it's kind of a contradiction and probably really shouldn't exist. I want to talk to you about the depressed Christian. Right? Those things don't, those don't, they shouldn't belong in the same sentence. The Christian shouldn't be depressed. Glory to glory. Amen, amen. Filled with joy. Walking from one. I live in and out of the struggle of depression. Maybe not clinically, but spiritually. I struggle with this. I've shared those struggles with you before. It is real. We are all constitutionally different people. I see it every day in my practice. I see it every day in my children. We are all made different. I used to have this notion, it's like you get these kids born to you, and then, you know, if you treat them all the same, they're all going to kind of act like the same. They're so different. Oh, my gosh. So different. You do one thing to one and one to another. One's crying, one's laughing. I mean, you just completely different. You know, and as Christians, we're the same. We're not just stamped with this one nature. Now you may know people that are praise Jesus all the time or just like rockets of faith. You may not be that person. And what I'm telling you today is that's okay. But part of the way of getting better and living the life and growing and, and is, is realizing who you are as a person in Christ. Maybe that's going to be your struggle and you have to fight against it every day of your life for the rest of, of, rest of your time on this earth. Maybe that's not your issue at all. Okay? So that's what we're going to talk about. Confession number one, that's my struggle. It's real to me. Maybe I'm not alone. I don't know. So anyways, I prepared to give this message to you. I said, Lord, give me a message I would preach to my own heart. Give me a word I would preach to me. You know, when I'm like that, when I'm struggling, when my heart feels cold as an ice cube, Lord, what would you say to me? And Hopefully that's what I've got to you i to to share with you today. So what do we do when we do these things? We don't ramble on psychologically and try to make ourselves feel better. We turn to God's word. We're going to be in Psalm 84. So one of the guys that encourages me the most in the Bible, you know, when I think about my own heart, and why, Lord, why am I not seeking you? Why do not I have desire today? Why am I struggling, Lord? As I think about the guy who is after God's own heart. You're like, You're Oh, yeah, I want to be that guy. The guy after God's own heart. That's King David, for any of you who don't, don't know that's what the Lord said about David. He was a shepherd boy. From shepherd boy to king. Quite a transition. The chosen one. Well, at least the, for king of Israel. You know, and a, a foreshadowing of Christ. You know, the lineage of Christ came from him. Slayer of Goliath. A lot of high points in that resume. The peeping Tom. The adulterer. The liar. And the murderer. Sounds a little different when you put it like that, right? Guys, I've got it on really good authority that I'm not the only one, and for those of you that struggle, you're not the only one that has lost focus, lost desire, and maybe even catastrophically blown it. You're not alone. So my two questions today, to start out with, one is the, what is the condition of your heart? I thought about this from a medical side, I was thinking about this. You know, I was like, thinking about cardiology and all these things, and actually, kind of, there's some good analogies in here. I'm going to draw out. What do they do? What do they do when you want to know if you have got a heart problem? They take you in there, and for anyone that knows anybody know what they what they kind of test they give you? Stress test. I get a stress test every day about 5:30 when I roll in my door. The house is going crazy. The mama's about not every day. Nicole, I'm sorry. <laughs> once every now and then house is falling apart mom's been run ragged all day long god bless her i don't know how she's with all four of my kids all day long but that is a spiritual stress test failing it looks looks or passing it looks something like this babe well, how was your day oh i'm sorry well, what can i do to help i'm here let me help just take a break. Go to, the, go to the bedroom. I'll round them up. I'm going to straighten this out. Let me get them under Who do I need to spank? Okay. What am I spanking them for? Okay. Just go to the bedroom. That's passing it. Failing it is something like, what do you mean? Why is this house a mess? Where's dinner? What the heck's going on? That is utterly failing the spiritual stress test that I just had. Okay. Both of these responses reveal the condition of my heart when I hit the door. Okay? One full of grace, love. The other full of me. Why are you bothering me? Where is mine? What is your problem? Okay? So I would ask you, think about your workplaces, your jobs, school, fail to test got mad at a teacher, whatever it was. How are you doing in the spiritual stress test of your life? Think about that for a few minutes. Doing okay? Failing miserably? Somewhere in between? Second question, what are you doing about it? And this is where our Psalm 84 comes in today. I'm gonna, the next thing it kind of ties right back into cardiology again. You know what the number one thing the cardiologists tell you when the, you're kind of not doing so hot? What have they told you? Anybody been a cardiologist? You need to change your lifestyle. Diet, stress, whatever. And then they're going to put you on medicine. Because you're probably not going to change your lifestyle. But change your lifestyle. Lifestyle modification. So today in Psalm 84, we're going to talk about lifestyle modification for the Christian life. And that's what we're going to be going to. Turn with me to Psalm 84 if you're not there already. Okay. We're going to begin in verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts? How does David start out? What's the very first thing that he does? I'm going to give you five points to modifying your Christian lifestyle. One, recall and declare the beauty of the Lord daily. How lovely is your dwelling place? Lovely is a weird word for us. Man, God, it's so beautiful where you are. I want to be there. To put it into better terms. You know, to kind of go back to relationship thing, I read a a relationship book a while back. And um, it talked about just like, you know, the things we think all the time. You know, guys are kind of quiet. And I I don't want to stereotype. Maybe it's the the woman that's quiet in your relationship. Um, But we don't say a lot of what we think. You know, most of us are not super emotional people. But it said, just say what you're thinking within the positive realm. You know, the negative round, keep it to yourself. But, um, you know, if you think your wife looks beautiful, tell her she looks beautiful. You, if you think something looks good on her, tell her. Now, men, I'm going to tell you, if you go home and do that, and you don't do that normally, you're going to be amazed just a couple times a day. Man, this house looks so clean. <laughs> what a blessing, you know. You will be amazed. It's kind of like magic, but not exactly. I don't want to say that. It it will change your marriage. So David, number one, come every day. How lovely is your drunk. Recall to yourself the beauty and the wonder of the God that you serve. Okay, number one. Number two, pretty very, very, very similar in verse two. He says, my soul longs. Yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. There's nowhere else I want to be, God, than with you, is what David says. In Psalm 27, 4, he says it again. One thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek. If I could ask for one thing, God, this is it. That I may dwell in your house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on your beauty and seeking you in your temple. That was his desire. Put that in your prayer time every morning. How would that change your perspective of your walk in your Christian life? It's kind of hard to get dull spiritually when you're kindling that up every day. If you woke up every day and turned over to that spouse, and I know I, I'm spouse, I know not everybody's with somebody in here, and I, you know, I apologize for that not analogy not coming across, but if you woke up next to somebody every day and said, man, you are such a blessing to me. I'm so blessed to be with you. I don't deserve to be with you. Man, how would that person feel? What do you think the response is when you get home at the end of the day? It would be pretty good. I mean, anyway, I'm just saying, you know, come to the Lord, recalling to yourself the blessing it is that he's poured into your life, the gift of grace that he's lavished upon you that you didn't deserve at all. Think about that. As we go on here into verse 3, he says, Even the sparrows find a home, and the swallows a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altar, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Now, as I studied this, some people think that this is what's called a parenthetical um, reference. It's a reference kind of plugged into the text here. So it really should read that my soul longs and faints for the courts of the Lord, my heart and flesh sing for joy Um, at your altar, O Lord of hosts, my king and my God. Even the sparrows find a place. God's so good. But, you know, as I was reading this and I was listening to some other people and and hearing what they had to say about this, I really think it was meant to be right here. And the reason is, you know, a lot of the people and and some of the the reasons they gave is, well, there were no sparrows in the temple. They kept that thing clean. You wouldn't find bird nests in the the holy of holies. But I'm going to tell you what. God cares about the most insignificant, incapable, unable to contribute anything person that's out there. He cares and desires for you. Okay? If you don't think God's got a place for the sparrows and the swallows to make nests at his altar, you got it wrong. All right? And as I thought about that, as I meditated on that, God longs. For the people that don't have it together to be in his house. The people that aren't supposed to be there. That everybody else said, nah, it's for you. You're not clean enough to be in church. You're not good enough. Those shoes aren't shot enough. You don't have it together enough. God wants that person in the church. Okay, If you're the person that's on the other side, he'd rather you hit the door on the way out and don't let the door hit you on the backside. That is self-righteousness and that is non- no place in the house of God. As we think about this, the other part of this, as we tie into it, I do tie into the other idea of the swallows having a nest. God is faithful. If he is faithful to the sparrow and to the swallow, giving them a place to build their nest, is he not going to take care of you? God is so faithful. And the problem we have as people is we think of, of actions as defining people. God's a character person. God doesn't just practice faithfulness. So right, what I, you know, like I, you know, I see a brother that's up here all the time, always cutting the grass, always keeping the place clean, always painting the walls, always doing that. Brother is faithful. I say, man, he's such a faithful individual. because I see his actions. And it's a it's a weird delineation, but God is faithfulness. You know, one of us could be faithful one minute, unfaithful the next. God is always faithful. It doesn't ever deviate and he always will be faithful. The story I think about recalling his faithfulness, this is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament, is in Joshua 3 and 4. In Joshua 3 and 4, the Israelites have crossed the river, Jordan, right? God has stopped the water. Hand up. The spiritual hand of God stops the water. I imagine it's piling up. There's fish flying in the air. I don't know what all's going on. And the people are just walking across while the rest of the river just trickles on down out of their way. And what does God tell them to do? He says, Get 12 stones from the middle of the river. 12. And you take them. And you put them on the other side, and you stack up an altar, and you write some stuff on it. You're like, hmm, that's interesting. But why? He said, when your children ask in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you're going to tell them what God did here in this river. You're going to tell them how God was faithful to you. He says, it shall be a memorial to my people forever. So spiritual lesson... Are you remembering what God has done in your life? Do you step back ever and say, man, do you remember when God did that? That's what a testimony is. It's always kind of a bummer when we have testimony time on Sunday morning. No one's got anything to say that God's done. Because I know God's doing stuff in your life. And that testimony is meant to encourage the body of Christ of God did this this week. Isn't he good? Amen. Right? When we sit there and be quiet, when, we, when, you know, when, I, when I teach Sunday school, like I, we always talk about, I want to hear about the good stuff that's happening in your week. We're going to pray about things. But tell me what God's been doing. That encourages the body of Christ. It encourages the believers around you. If we come around here and we're a bunch of people where God's not active in our lives and nothing's going on, everyone just needs prayer, and you know, it's all terrible and all wonderful, what kind of God do we serve? No one walking in that door wants to serve that God. You know, God is a faithful God. And we should speak to his faithfulness every time we get together. You have, a, you have someone over to your house to break bread and eat lunch together? Man, let me tell you what God did for me this week. It should be our normal conversation. Okay? So if you're not doing that, lifestyle modification. Recall his faithfulness. Nicole and I try and do this, you know, once or twice a year, typically around Thanksgiving or sometime like that. We sit down and say, what has God done in our lives this year? And a lot of times we'll be thinking about the year and we'll be talking with the kids and we'll say, do you guys remember when? Do you remember when we were doing this? You know, when we were driving across West Virginia and two cars and pukes flying everywhere and everyone's sick and we just exploded the car top carrier while going into a garage like 10 minutes before leaving town and it's snowing outside. And I'm about to lose my hair. God was there and he got us to West Virginia and it was a blessed time. And how richly he blessed our time there as the devil tried to get in our way on the way out the door. Okay, We remember and call on God's faithfulness. Next one. Now verse 5, come on down here. It says, blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Y'all, I'm going to tell you, it's so hard sometimes to trust in the Lord's strength. I'm a fix-it person. I love to fix stuff. I spent the first six months of our marriage fixing everything in the house. Working, 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 working. Until I came home one day and my wife was in tears, and I said, What's wrong? You don't listen to me. We don't talk. But look at all the stuff I'm doing for you. I'm fixing everything. I love you so much, don't you see? But you're not listening to me. You're not talking to me. I'm a string, I draw, and I go fix and I do. All that to be said. If I don't trust in the Lord's strength to get things done, I'm going to wind up up exhausted and out of strength. Just worn out, stressed out with God. God, why? God, this? God, whatever? What's the problem? Why, why, why? And the answer is because you've been doing it in your own strength, bro. You're not trusting me to get this done for you. So David constantly reminded himself and said, I need your strength, Lord. Guys, the Lord doesn't want a bunch of, I got this people walking around. God wants needy people. You ever thought about that? God wants needy people. If you come here and you've got it all put together, you're super spiritual Christian, a number one. If you're not needy and with needs comes humility, if that's not you, man, think about that. How are your stress tests doing? You passing them? Probably not might look good, but I bet when the, when, the, when the push comes to shove, something else comes out of the heart. Because you're not dependent upon Him. You're not needy. That was number four. Draw on the strength of the Lord. Number five. Be diligent and depend on Him in adversity always. Okay, Let's read verse six. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. I want to read one second here. I want to read the King James for you on this. Who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. Then the rain also filleth the pools. I'm going to tell you why I chose to read that version for you. The valley of Baca is also known as the valley of weeping. And they don't really know where it was. But they, they know it was a place that no one really wanted to have to travel through. Dry, arid, you know, nothing there, desolate, not a fun place for a sojourner to go. That's why they call it the Valley of Weeping. I don't want to go through this place. I don't want to. You ever do that spiritually? God, I don't want to do this. It's hard. I got to go apologize. That's hard. I got to love that person. That's hard. We weep too. A dry and desolate place. Miserable. For the person passing through. okay. But I want to read you. Remember what I said in the King James Version there? They make it a place of wells. What's a well? You dig a hole in the ground. In the middle of the valley. When it's dry and everyone's whining. There's someone that was diligent. There's someone that put their back into it. They were faithful. They got a shovel out. And they dug a hole. Okay? That's where obedience comes in. Hen, 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 next week, come back. What happens when it rains and you have a hole in the ground? It fills up. And now you've got a spring in the middle of the desert. You've got something where water flows from. Was it fun digging the hole when it was hot? No. Man, we had some guys pour a concrete slab out for our barn in the middle of the summer last year. That was not fun. I said like, that was probably the best money I ever spent. I did not want to be doing that. Man is 110 degrees, and they were out there with a backhoe and digging. I was, you know, I dig some fence posts in the middle of summer, and I'm I'm done. But they were diligent. They dug a hole in the middle of a valley. Why would you dig a hole in the middle of the valley? What were they expecting? The rain. Okay, now, this is really important. This is really important. Where is the reign of God? Where does the help come from in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. Jesus said, wait, I'm going to send you some help. Now I know we're Baptists. And someone in here is like, oh, buddy, he's talking about that spirit thing again. It's going to get weird. The Holy Spirit. I would tell you it's probably... The Godhead is three people, if you hadn't figured it out, in the Christian church. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When's the last time you talked to the Holy Spirit? Think about that for a second. If I went home to my wife and didn't talk to her for two and a half months straight, how do you think our relationship would be? I think that the Holy Spirit is, is probably one of the most neglected persons of the Godhead. God said, I'm going to send you help. Jesus said, I'm sending you help. And we don't even talk to the helper. So when we did ATF last year and you got 25 kids running around, what's your first question when you walk in the door? Who's my helper tonight? I got some help. You know, oh, no, they're sick. I was probably the one sick or I was stuck at work. Nicole's on her own. Oh, gosh, it's going to be, oh, we're going to have fun. We're going to have fun. Had a blast. But when you have that helper, you know, you know, it's going to be a lot better. We go throughout the Christian life and we don't ever talk to our helper. Man, think about that. Really, really, really think about that. Okay? We have got to desire, communicate with, long for the help that God has sent us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We're going to finish um, the message here in the New Testament. You remember David was in the Old Testament, right? He didn't see the fulfillment of the covenant. Turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 3. It was so cool at the end of that that song earlier, kind of picked some of this out. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. I'm just going to read 14 through 19 for you real quick. For this reason, and this is a prayer, a prayer into a time of tribulation. It says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul speaking into diversity. And what I'm talking to you about is, is not diversity, adversity. Speaking into adversity. I'm talking to you about adversity in the Christian life. If someone sold you a bill of goods and told you this is going to be a cakewalk, and I was listening to a commercial one day, just come to our church. It's like putting on an old pair of jeans. And I'm like, you know... Okay, that's interesting. You know, yeah, we fit in with the body of Christ. I get it. The Christian walk is not some little light, fluffy thing. It's a battle at times. And if you want to make it, you better be strengthened by His Spirit in your inner man. What does that mean? You better have a relationship with the Helper. You better talk to the Holy Spirit and say, man, I need you. I need you in my life. Show me who you are, God. What does he say here, though? The amazing thing, so that you may comprehend what? What does he say? The height, the breadth, the depth, the length. You would comprehend my love. Can you get your head around God's love? You can try. But through the power of his Holy Spirit, he wants you to behold who he is. And all the songs, almost all the ones we're singing this morning about the glory of the Lord. God wants to show you more of who he is. And I guarantee you, if you see more of who God is today, it will change who you are as the believer. If you want to see the things of this world lose interest, get a better view of God. Let him show you how precious his grace is towards you. Now you see... We have this little problem in the church these days. If you listen to a lot of the worship songs, it wants to talk about how precious I am to God. Which is true. And I'm not telling you that. God gave His Son on the cross. He bled. He died painfully. To pay a price you couldn't pay. To go somewhere you couldn't go. To defeat something you couldn't defeat. And you are precious to Him. But what we lose... It's how precious he should be to us. That's what we should sing about. That's what our praise should be about. Okay? So as we kind of think about all the things I talked to you about, we're going to recap. As you do your lifestyle modification, go home. I want you to think about this. Do your stress test. How have you been passing? What do we do when we're in the hospital? When you come in for us, we pull out those sheets of paper. We send you to the lab. Let's go over your test results, right? You got this. You got that. Need some lipitor. Cholesterol's high. Blah blah blah. Blood pressure's a little up now. You've been eating too much. You know, you know test results. You got them. Spiritually, you got them. Think about it. How are you doing? Are you failing miserably? Are you doing great? Praise God if you are. I want you to do this spiritual exercise, and then I want you to think about these lifestyle modifications for your spiritual life. Recall and declare His beauty daily. Kindle a desire for him and sing for joy. Recall his faithfulness to you throughout your life. Draw strength from the Lord and not from yourself. And be diligent but utterly dependent on the helper in adversity. Those are the things I want you to do this week. I think if you'll take those things and you put them into practice, you're going to see that your your spiritual life will change. Does it mean that you're not going to feel down one day? No, it doesn't mean that. That's when, like I said, I ask God, give me a message I preach to myself. That's when you get these notes out and say, all right, it's time to preach. If you need to look in the mirror, look in the mirror. Preach to yourself. Say, inner man, get needy. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. Be dependent upon Him. Quit trying to do it in your own strength. We all get there. We all do. Now, I I really, 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 really want you to think about this. If you're a believer and you're here today, and you've trusted your heart to the Lord, I want everyone, I just want you to take a few minutes. I want you to take a few minutes, and I want you to think about how life's been lately. How your stress tests doing? Michael's going to come up in a few minutes. We're going to do a little bit of music. But I want you to think about this. Are you passing? Are you failing? Are you dependent? Are you needy? As he plays in a little while, if you need to get needy before the Lord, do that. Tell God, I'm sorry. I've been doing this all on my own. If you're a Christian and you're here today and you're exhausted and you're worn out and you're getting tired and sick of the whole thing and why does it? Look at what strength you're relying on. And I guarantee you, you're going to find out it's a lot of me. It's a lot of you. A lot of me in the picture. Okay? Repent of those things. Guys, repentance is a healthy thing. You know, repentance, weeping, being broken before the Lord's a healthy thing. We were in prayer this morning. My daughters were asking, Papa, why are your tears crying? Why are your tears running? It's a good thing to be broken before the Lord. It's healthy. Guys, when we got it all put together, we got to be careful. The, the, the word tells us, be where you think you stand, lest you fall. I'd rather be before the Lord on my knees than get knocked flat on my face in humility. You know, when God has to humble me. I really want you to think about, are you hungry? And are you thirsty? Are you dependent upon the Holy Spirit? Have you, not, have you been? If you have been, what does that mean? If you don't know, ask the Lord. Holy Spirit, what does it mean for me dependent upon you? What does it mean to trust you for your strength? Show me. You serve a good and loving God who wants you to know Him more. He will show Himself to be faithful and true and a helper and just. God wants to reveal himself to us. He does it through his spirit. And as we're quiet today, as Michael plays in a little while, I want you to think about those things. Michael, come on, man. I'm wrapping up. The second thing I have for you today is, I told you I had two confessions today. This is the second one. And I probably already shared it with you, but I'm going to formalize it. I am one messed up individual. Man, I thought I had so much to give God Coming out of high school, I got all these gifts and talents, Lord, I'm going to do all this for you. God showed me, man, you got nothing I want. And I've got everything for you. You've got nothing to bring me. You know, I'm not I'm not I'm not joking around with my words. People would look at my life and I, another thing, there's a misconception. People think that. Only people at the bottom of the barrel or at the end of the rope come to the Lord. you got to be on those hard times before you get your life right. I had it all together, people. I graduated from Naval Academy. I was in graduate school. I was doing fine. Everything was good. Military officer, all this stuff, whatever, whatever. I had girlfriends, had too many girls. Not good. Unhealthy. But on the inside, I was never satisfied. I was always looking for the next thing. I had a heart full of lust. I struggled with pornography since I was a teenager. Always trying to fill me. And I remember coming. And I grew up in church, guys. I know there's a lot of y'all here that probably grew up. How many people grew up in church here? Yeah, a lot of people grew up in church. And that's great. I grew up in church. But I still thought I had all this great stuff to offer God. Everybody tell me, oh, you're so great. You're so wonderful. It's so great that you're serving the Lord and seeking him and you're at prayer meetings. And, you know, I just on the inside, I got so much to give God. And I remember at that point in my life, everyone thought I was good to go. Everything was wonderful. And on the inside, I'm empty. Always trying to look for the next thing. And maybe it's not lust. Maybe it's not pornography for you. Maybe it's that next big boat. Maybe it's that next rifle you've been saving up for. That week-long hunting trip to Alaska. Ladies, that brand new kitchen, that shopping spree you were saving up for, none of these things are bad. None of those things are bad. Not like pornography. None of those things are bad in and of themselves. But when they're all you seek for, when they're, when they're what's going to fulfill you, when they're what's going to make you whole, you've got a problem. Okay? So what God did to me is I came down to an altar. I was like, you know, I've got to do that recommit thing. I've got to recommit my heart to the Lord Jesus i got to get it right. God hit me so hard. And if I have ever heard God speak, God spoke to me that day. He said, you're a prostitute of my perfect love. What does that mean, God? And I've been reading the book of Hosea. I've shared this with you guys. It means that God had been faithful to me all the way along. And what had I done? I'd gone and sought everything my heart wanted. Everything my heart wanted, I went after. And I had nothing for him. I didn't want him. I didn't want him. I just I, I just needed. knew I needed to get right again. You know what God said to me in the middle of feeling worthless and filthy like I was? But I still love you. I still want you. I still died for you. That's the message of the cross. That's how great God's glory is. Think about that for a second. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www.baconscastle.com.